Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. So, John, we uh, have one of our big disagreements on this podcast because uh, the article we're looking at, it's titled, This is Uncomfortable, Saudi Arabia Upends Genteel World of Pro Golf by Tarek Panya. Very uncomfortable. And <laughs> I think, you know, it's a, I guess it's an uncomfortable subject because it's we're talking about a sport and a country, in this case, Saudi Arabia, that has... You know, committed human rights violations and what i what triggers you and me is different i i had an initial emotional reaction to a subject that i have always been attracted to which is who our media decides is bad and who they decide to not call good but to ignore and in the case of saudi arabia and a lot of the gulf countries i do see you know a tendency to really drive home the point that human rights violations are um, are definitely occurring there, which they are. Uh, but I, I kind of am attracted to this idea that you know there's hypocrisy there because, and there's a slippery slope as well. Like when when can the Saudis uh, own a team, and when when should they own a league? Are we talking about sanctions? It just seems like a really vague um, argument to me that's lacking. Uh, but I know you see it completely differently. You see it from a golf fan standpoint. You see this issue of the Saudis creating a rival league from a totally different perspective. So do you want to bring up some of your uh, your big points or some of the points of disagreement that you have? Um, yeah, because I, I think uh, I don't I don't think the issue is like, hey, are we being hypocritical? And because I think the, the thing that makes this maybe unique or separate from other issues of like, how do we treat other countries is that like in this case you have players who are basically choosing to to go play in outer space you know like in the middle of nowhere i mean not in the middle of nowhere but like not on you know the national televised schedule that they're playing on here basically you're just taking a sack of money and it's who you're taking the sack of money from and in this case it's the dude who's ordering the bone saws you know like that's i think what i think is the issue more than just like can somebody from Saudi Arabian soil participate in the global economy? Like, I don't, I don't think that that's like the issue. And so, um, so I kind of see it a little bit differently from you, but there's also, I can't get away from, like, I've had an edge the whole podcast. Like I feel angry and it's not because I'm like mad. It's just because I guess I really do love golf a lot. And so, um, so yeah, I think I just, uh, yeah, I think I just kind of look at it more from like, I feel like, some of the better players not better i guess or some of the good players the guys who make make the tournaments worth watching some of them are are uh, maybe you know going to disappear from from the game from the perspective i watch it from do you remember last was it last summer when the um soccer organizations tried to make that super league um do you yeah. do you kind of do you, do you associate yourselves with those fans you know who are protesting and angry because this Super League was being created and Liverpool may leave the the Premier League. And, you know, do you, do you see it from yeah. that standpoint? Yeah, I think, well, kind of, because I think in that case, if they would have pulled that off, then I think you just would have had this like radical restructuring of, um, like you could see where that would make a lot of other teams and stuff irrelevant. Whereas like, I don't think that the Saudi League is gonna make uh, the PGA Tour irrelevant. I think it's just going to make it like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could see parallels to it. Yeah, I haven't really thought it through, I guess. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about that. 
But that, you know, you bring up a lot of good points, John, and it did make me see it uh, a little differently. I still think we, we disagree on the main points, but it does bring in like, I think we're just looking at it from totally different perspectives. And like I said before, I, I, what, what triggers us is different things for you. It's the, the league itself and the sport of golf as a fan. And for me, it's the media in a more general way, the media and who we decide to uh, focus on. So we definitely see it differently. Uh, but I hope you know, you're going to hear a lot of that in this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Class X podcast. If you've recently uh, subscribed, thank you for doing that. Uh, we'll see you after the music and hopefully you enjoy this episode of the Class X podcast. Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri. And I'm John. And John, we're going to look at an article today related to this recent controversy between Saudi Arabia and the PGA. And so the article is titled, This is Uncomfortable, Saudi Arabia Upends Genteel World of Pro Golf. And it's by Tarek Panya. And John, the Saudis basically have been attracting a lot of uh, big name players like Phil Mickelson. And they're attracting them with a crazy amount of money, an unheard of amount of money. I actually heard, I saw a, a, some sort of figure related to Tiger Woods, and it was just insane, like what they're offering if Tiger Woods would come over. Uh, they're basically creating this rival league, ri a rival to the PGA, and it's reached this breaking point because if you want to play in the Live Golf International Series, which is the Saudi league, then you can't play for the PGA American League. And here's a quote that I wanted to start the podcast with before we deep dive into the article. The quote is, these players have made their choice for their own financial based reasons. And then the, to paraphrase what the PGA commissioner continues to say, he says money, money, money. He just brings up a lot of money related issues. So I thought that was fascinating for the commissioner to be emphasizing that because he's obviously making a lot of money too. Um, but I know you have a different perspective, and I know we're going to have a, a slight disagreement. So what are you, before we deep dive into this, what are you going into this um, podcast feeling like? What are your initial thoughts? Um, I have kind of two takeaways. One of them is that just as a fan of golf, like somebody who just watches it like all the time and just it's kind of like a default thing I just put on the TV, you know, because I like playing golf and, um, and I like watching it is that my first thought is like it just kind of bums me out because these guys not because like I. Like I do, like I understand, like the moral argument against it, like which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, with like the Saudis, uh, but it's more of just like a, these guys are like they're just gonna maybe disappear from like you know, the golf that I watch at least like from the weekly tournaments because I think that's the thing too, like another kind of like issue there is like will they be able to play in the majors and because the PGA Tour doesn't really necessarily determine you know who can play in in those bigger tournaments, um, so. I think it's just as a fan, I'm kind of bummed out because I think that like some of the some of the better players might just kind of disappear and just be playing like basically playing. They might as well be on the dark side of the moon. You know, like I don't know, like how you watch these guys play. I don't know if I want to watch them play because it's this weird format, you know, for their tournaments. So I, there's the fan perspective. But then there's also like the if I'm trying to actually pinpoint what's happening, it's really hard for me to tell because I think there are kind of three sides to the 
uh, you know, three parts to the equation. There's the PGA tour part, which is they're probably just concerned, like, uh Oh, we're losing guys, you know, um, including a very big one, like a very, like the second most popular guy is, you know, Phil Mickelson. And then um, there's like the side of the players who it's hard to blame them taking like, you know, a huge sack of money for just to go play for eight weeks, you know, like that's kind of hard to turn down. But then there's also like the Saudi part of it or the, or the leagues part of it, which to me is just kind of like a dark, like, you know, a black box of, I don't know what's going on in there. Like, I don't know if they really think they're going to make money off this, which is kind of hard to envision as far as like, how do you only have eight tournaments and you're paying half a billion just to like three guys, you know? And uh, so it's hard for me to tell, but then there's also like the sports washing thing, which we'll get into where I'm like, how can it be a sports washing thing? If everybody knows it's sports washing, you're not fooling anybody. So let's talk um, about that. Let's see. Like, you know, it seems like the article is really making that argument that the Saudis are creating this league in order to sports wash. And so that idea is basically to define it. Um, that's when you cleanse your reputation through sports. And a lot of countries do this. At least they attempt to do it with the Olympics. I personally find it hard to believe. I don't think fans, serious or casual, really think, oh, the Saudis have this golf league. So I guess democracy now flourishes in Saudi Arabia. I, I don't really see that. I just think that you know every country engages with sports. And the idea that it's all about sports watching, watching uh, it seems to ignore the obvious to me, which is money. I'm just seeing this as a a money-making idea, and it might be short-sighted. They might just be thinking that they can throw a bunch of money at these players and it will lead to making a lot of money later because they're going to get Tiger Woods and all these other players. Maybe that's how they're thinking about it. Uh, I definitely think that the PGA views them as competition. So the PGA does see them as offering some sort of model that they're afraid of because they wouldn't if they just thought they were gonna, they were going to collapse and they're that that they're like stupidly throwing money which I can I I totally get what you're saying John but if they if the PGA viewed it that way I don't think they would be reacting so strongly to the whole thing um I just I just see it as a very like you said there's definitely different perspectives so I'm I'm totally with you on that but as far as the sports sports washing idea goes John what do you think of that? Because that was a big part of this article. In a sense, it's like the thesis, like the Saudis are sports washing because of all of the human rights violations that have taken place since, specifically since 2015 when their le- new leadership came in. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I actually thought of like a, a, a none of the above uh, answer, which is like when you think about guys who buy sports teams in the United States, um, a lot of times, like the values of these teams do go up, you know, but a lot of times they're not purchasing them, I don't think, because it's like purely a business investment. I think it's because they want to be a sports owner. You know, they want to be. So I'm kind of thinking maybe they're whoever's pulling the strings. This is the thing is I don't really know uh, much about the Saudi government. I don't know how connected or how direct it is, um, you know, from uh, from their government to this league. Maybe they're just guys involved who just really like golf. And they're just like, I want to like basically be a sports owner, you know, of these like great like golfers or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, as far as the sports washing goes, it makes sense to me when that happens more with with the Olympics because it's a rotating um, thing. It goes to different countries. And then when you like lure the Olympics or you make the bid and they come to your country, you get a couple of weeks where you can kind of like hide your homeless people and you can like make things look nice. Or you could just have some skiing events in front of like nuclear waste facilities, like oh. at a 
freaking the last Olympics. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I'm kind of getting off track. No, I, I, I like, like what you're saying. I, I completely agree with it. Yeah. So it makes sense with the Olympics. But when you do this thing, we're out of thin air. You're like, hey, guys, we got a new golf league. It's going to be eight weeks. Uh, it's going to be sweet. Here's half a billion dollars. Like, I think that that kind of just feels like it's too obvious. So it's not going to fool anybody. It's not, it doesn't feel like some organic thing where it's like, hey, things are changing in this country in a positive way. Look, they just now have this golf league that's kind of like, it's like, no, it just kind of like sprang up out of nowhere. They're just throwing around bags of money. So it doesn't really feel like if it's sports washing, it doesn't feel like it's effective at all. Totally. I agree. If, if it was sports washing, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. Like you, like you said, as sports washing, I think that's a really, really good point that uh, and I, I thought that it was just emphasized a lot. It's definitely a factor. No one's denying that. But to say it's the prime factor when there's clearly other factors at play is, um, I think, a weak thesis. So let's take a break, John, and come back and talk about the PGA as a monopoly. What you think about that? and some other ideas related to this article. So we'll be back after the music. Welcome back to the Class X Podcast. John, to me, it seems like the PGA is losing its monopoly over golf. And I know you have a strong perspective on this. I feel like there's a clear competitor now and the PGA doesn't like that. It seems like the live tournament is going to be paying the players more using a team format style. So, which is totally different from, from what they do now, the more individualistic style. And my guess is they're probably going to be offering a better schedule, a way better schedule. So in a sense, they're pro labor when it comes to PGA, not when it comes to a lot of other things, I'm sure in Saudi Arabia, but when it comes to this specific league, they're kind of pro labor. So it seems like, I don't know, to me, the, the media could say, look, it's kind of interesting that this country, with which has a lot of human rights violations and doesn't touch the U.S. when it comes to political rights, it's kind of odd that they're offering these golf golfers a better schedule, more money. And, you know, what does that say about the PGA? I just think that could be a, a narrative. We could have that as a discussion as well in the media instead of saying, oh, let's just look at the human rights record of this country, which is legitimate. I'm not saying it's not, but at the same time, I think there are other ways to approach it. And, you know, one could be like from a capitalistic standpoint, like, look, they're offering better, better, uh, better pay. So what are you going to do? I don't know. John, what do you think about that? What do you think about this idea of um, the PGA sort of being afraid of competition from this uh, from the Saudi league? Yeah. Well, I think anytime, like if you're, if you're a sports league, you know, and like a legitimate competitor seems to pop up, I would think you'd be worried about, about losing players, but that doesn't mean though, to me that like, that the PGA is doing something shady or that they're like, not, you know, treating their players well, maybe like their schedule is more intense because that's what it actually takes to make money. Like, I don't know how you're going to make, make back this money on just eight tournaments. That doesn't really make sense at all. So that kind of, to me, does feel like maybe they are just like doing this super clumsy, like super telegraphed, obvious sports washing thing because it's like, I don't know how you're going to make money from it. So I think that because like to me, like just the PGA being concerned about losing players doesn't mean that like that makes the other league legit. You know, like I I think, um, 
you know, like you could have the PGA having their concerns and then the Saudis like having whatever they're trying to do be totally separate from that. I agree. I agree that I just think the PGA to go back to an earlier point should be looking at it. Maybe they're also being excessively emotional about it. They should just because they're not accustomed to competition, like competition like this, you know. And so maybe they they are the PGAs basically they should be seeing it like you said as this renegade league that's spending too much money, kind of like what we see in the NFL sometimes or in the NBA. But I mean, we're both Sacramento Kings fans. The owner of the Kings, he spends money, right? But we also see that their team's not successful. So just because you're spending a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I wonder why the PGA doesn't just take that approach. May Another possibility is that the Saudis just have a lot of money. And it's almost like infinite to the PGA, at least the PGA perspective. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. I think there's a thing too with the players where um, I don't know exactly how the pie chart works, but I think that they make a lot of their money. Like when you look at the total purse in a PGA event, it is like pretty freaking high. Like you're going to make like over a million dollars for winning a tournament. Like if you win, and like if you're in the top, like whatever, you know, you'll make like almost half a million or something like in that neighborhood. Um, but I think these guys make a ton of money off the course, you know. So it's not like a sport like basketball or football um, where like, yeah, like the very, very top guys like make like a lot of money off the court, like LeBron James or something. But where the most of the guys like they're making their money from their team that's paying them or from the league. Um, I think that they make. So I think that like the platform for a pro golfer could be maybe a, a little more like um, I'm trying to think like of how to say it. Like the platform doesn't necessarily matter as much maybe as like another pro sport where like you're, you're just getting all your money from the league. Okay. That makes sense. Let me, let me list off a couple of uh, things that the Saudis are involved in. I want to, I want to take it to maybe a slightly different place. They're engaged in soccer. They, they pretty much own Newcastle United pro wrestling, uh, boxing, formula one racing. And so I see another critique that I would have of the, the criticism here is Here's, here's my problem with the anti-live arguments. I guess it's kind of obvious. Why the outrage over this and not when they purchase Newcastle? You know, like why, wh- wh- where do you draw the line? When does it become an issue for you? Because at some point we're really discussing the issue of sanctions and they're not using that word, but the way an article like this is written, they're they're saying sanctions without saying it. And I'm just thinking that to me, it's an inconsistent concept because either you're making an emotional argument because of the globalization thing going on where this country just has an excessive amount of money. And in some ways, it sort of sounds like Toyota makes better cars than us. So I'm kind of angry right now. Um, so that's that's one end, end of it. But so, I mean, do you think it's a globalization thing? Um, if, if you are, do you see what I'm saying about globalization? Because I kind of see this idea of, the Saudis, you know, they're allowed to do this, but they're not allowed to do that. It just seems inconsistent to me. That's why I wonder, is this more of an emotional thing? And then one more point, or is it just the PGA saying, I don't want competition, which I think we've gone into already. But I don't know, John, what do you think about this uh, this idea that I'm bringing up? Um, well, I think like the thing with Newcastle is that if you look at a bunch of soccer teams, like whether it's the Saudis or Russian oligarchs, 
there are a lot of teams that are purchased by guys who come from countries who they who knows how they made their money, you know, kind of a thing. Um, plus, though, in a soccer league is if you really hate that, then go root for, you know, Manchester United, you know, or go root for another team. There's like another thing within the framework that you can root for. Whereas in this case, this is like the whole league itself. And I think that the the thing that makes it kind of different is just how direct it is. Because I've heard those arguments that like, because um, there's a globalization thing where it'd be like pretty much impossible to totally divorce yourself from from buying products that are going to somehow funnel money into China that could be helping to put some Uyghurs in a in a camp, you know? So it's like, I think that there's there, those arguments, but it's like, that's like really hard to completely remove yourself from. Kind of like with if you know, like with environmental stuff, like where you could always make an argument that you're really like harming the environment, even if you're trying really hard not to. But in this case, like it's just so direct. It's like you're literally getting the bag of money from the government, you know. Um, whereas in other cases, I think like it's more of like an indirect thing, just by participating in the economy, you're you're helping to like you know give money to these places. But in this case, you're it's just like a direct line. Like you're going up to the dude who calls for the bone saw on the reporters from the Washington Post, and you're like, "Hey, thanks for the money." So I think that I think it's just like the direct like thing from the government to the players. I, I hear your point. I think you know the directness. Maybe you feel like with the uh, other situations, there's almost like a lack of control in a sense. It's just these are the global forces at play, and that's how it works. Um, I, I see the point. I do. I do disagree because I, I i still see it as you know when i still see it as a little vague to me and it sounds like the only legitimate argument from a legal standpoint is like sanctions and i just don't see that word being used but they're pretty much saying it and if you're not saying it what else are you saying you, you know you know what i mean like it just it's like what is what is the legal basis for this when it comes to international exchange um, I'm sure there is well, I something. I just, in my mind, I just see it as a bit inconsistent and, you know, countries do this a lot. We do this with uh, cars all the time. You know, Ford isn't competing with Toyota. We decide we don't want to engage in the global economy and we get really angry and we tell each other, like, you have to buy Ford or GM or whatever. And so I don't know. I just make in those connections. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I, I don't think it's a legal thing. I think it's a moral thing. I think that people just see like a guy who, like if it's Phil Mickelson, they just see him as like kind of abandoning like um, a league that feels more legitimate for just a sack of money from somebody who's really shady to go to go play on a barge somewhere, basically. And it just kind of feels like, I don't know, I think it's more of like a moral thing than necessarily like a legal, a legal thing. Right. And that's, well, that's, I get that. It's just, and I don't want to sound like some amoral person because I'm not. I have, a, you know, I, I feel really strongly about these issues, like a lot of people. You're a nice guy. Yeah. But I just see, like, well, well when, where is the morality when, you know, we have administrations that are banning people who are like Muslim in this, you know, from co in, coming to this country or when we use enhanced interrogation techniques uh, during the Bush administration, AKA torture. And I just taught a lot of these subjects. So I'm kind of like, it's all fresh in my brain, but I'm just, I'm just thinking about, there's a lot of things that we do that are not very moral that the, the world could say, you know, it could flip on us. Is it equivalent to the Saudis? 
I don't think so, though. You could look at some of the wars we've engaged in and say, oh, that was pretty crazy. Like hundreds of thousands of yeah. people died. I'm just saying that the moral arguments are a little, um, you know, you you got to be careful with that. That's why we have legal, you know, legal uh, ways of approaching these things. But I get it. I do think people feel like it's morally disgusting. I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. And it, and there is when you look at autocratic regimes, uh, it can be that way. But, you know, when we're talking about a place like the Middle East, I've been to many, at least four Middle Eastern countries. I think they've all had human rights violations, like numerous, but we treat them all differently. You know, when we talk about China, India, it's the same issue. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Latin American countries are, you know, it's like, like, you know, we could just bring up pretty much every country, including the United States. I just see it as the moral issue is very, um, it's a, it's a complex one, you know, and we tend to see what others do and we don't see what we do. Um, but at the same time, you know, like the killing of jur- like the journalist from the Washington Post, I could see why that became a major headline. It was, you know, against international law. You know, you can't do that. Um, so it's a sticking point for, for a lot of people, which I totally agree with. Um, yeah, but I think the difference, though, is that it's not like people are like, oh, hey, we do bad stuff, too. It's not like when you play for the PGA Tour, the FBI is paying you. You know, it's not like the CIA or the guys who are like overthrowing our bends in Guatemala are the ones who are like handing you the money. You know, I don't think the issue is as much like, oh, they're playing on Saudi soil, which I don't think they are. Like, I think they're playing in like London and they're playing all over the place. So it's not necessarily like, oh, hey, you're in that place. I think it's like you're taking the money directly from the people who do the bad stuff that you could, you could say that we do too, but you're not taking the money from those people necessarily. Right. I see what you're saying. It's a good point. Um, I just, I think for me, the, the moral issue is a bit touchy. You know, I sit in the classroom often and uh, we talk about world war two. And if you ask most Americans, you know, they would agree with what a lot of my students say. It's like, Oh yeah, we should have dropped the atomic bombs. You know, we should have done this. We should have done. There's a lot of, uh, morality is just this really it's it's often mixed in with nationalism you know and it's yeah we view foreign countries as like a monolithic like every single person agrees with what their government's doing like as opposed to with us we understand the complexity i'm happy you brought that up because before we go to break i do want to make one point i do i do think that these articles that come from western media do portray like issues like this as far as as if it's just one person, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and no other investors, no other people. And I don't think that's real. And I think that's that's a narrative we tell ourselves often. We create one person to just uh, pound on, in a sense, and, and just dump all of our moral outrage on that person. And we don't like to see it as a complicated thing because I bet there's a lot of investors who are not Saudi involved in this. I know they mentioned Greg Norman in the article and I was looking, I found another guy. Um, I think his name, I think he's on the payroll though. I think oh, he's basically sure. like, I could think he's like the Phil Mickelson, but like the administrative yeah. equivalent, like, like they were, they brought him in just to be a face. Well, he did. He has been seeking an, an alternate league, though. He, he, I guess, there are people who have been seeking alternate alternatives to the PGA. So that's all I'm saying. But let's take a quick break, um, and we'll come back and talk more about the article.
back to the Class X podcast. So, John, I want to talk about the media because Stephen A. Smith brought up, and he he took a, a different perspective from the New York Times. I was watching a YouTube clip today, and he said he looks at it, the Saudi league, as capitalism. He looks at it as a place for these players to go. It's a very capitalistic. It's very American. And he, I, I actually, I like that point because I agree with that concept. And I was just wondering, because this is a New York Times article, and on certain issues, especially related to globalization and global politics, they do take a certain stance and they bring up cynicism with the Saudis and rather than focusing on the economic factors, which you could focus on both. But this article decided to focus on uh, the, the Saudi league in a more cynical way with the whole sports washing idea. So I was just wondering, you know, what do you think? And I guess this is kind of like an going back to the Anthony Bourdain podcast we've done. It's kind of like looking at the the other perspective. And to me, you know, what's the motivation of the Western media outlets uh, that focus on issues like sports washing? Tim, I'll answer it from my perspective. I see it as it's easy to really look at it and say they are doing this for cynical reasons and we're innocent and we're, we have moral outrage instead of saying like, oh, actually, our company is just jealous because they can't afford to pay the players, you know, in this global economy. I think that's a easier argument to make when you're in the New York Times. That's how I view it. And I thought I was actually really astonished by the comments because almost all the comments were pro this, I guess, pro PGA. And there were a few people who uh, brought up good points. Like if you really want to have moral outrage, maybe we should focus on um protecting children in schools, which is a different subject. But I think that, uh, you know, to me, it is an interesting way to look at it. Like, let's flip the script a little bit and look at it as far as what is the Western media outlet perspective. And I know you wanted to uh, bring up the Western media, but from the golf magazine standpoint. Um, so what do you want to say, John? Oh, I would just connect it back to what we were talking about foreign countries where we kind of talk about them like they're monolithic to say what is the Western, like, what is the Western media outlets perspective? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. I think for the, I think for the New York times, like the first time I heard of this story was when Phil Mickelson made comments about, um, he was talking about the Saudis and he said, these are some bad dudes. And he was like referencing basically like things that like the government's done. And so I think that maybe Phil Mickelson's comments might've kind of framed Everything where it's like, you know, you're looking at this moral thing. Like, are you going to take this bag of money from these guys? And so I think maybe that's where like the New York Times is coming from. I think guys who like cover golf, I think they might be looking at it in the same way that I look at it as a fan kind of where it's like, man, is this going to ruin? Uh, is this going to ruin the tour kind of a thing? Um, so I think it maybe just kind of depends on like who you're talking about as far as like who's covering. It. And you're kind of concerned about the uh, the formatting, right? Uh, what do you mean? The format of their league, mm-hmm. of the Saudi league? or Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, that's like if you're really trying to get to the bottom of what are they up to? Like, is this like a legitimate, like, tour that they're trying to set up? It's really hard to tell because it is just really hard on the surface to figure out how are you going to make money um, off of this thing, which is, I think, maybe kind of fuels the fire for people saying, hey, this is just like a sports washing thing. Yeah, I, I see. Because you're, you're kind of scared that it could become. Uh, I remember you saying something like, you know, it could be an ABA kind of situation 
where it's just giving oh. you. Oh, well, no, I've heard people make the argument of like, well, hey, the PGA Tour should look at this like like the ABA or like the XFL where they got the different camera views and they got like ideas from them that they could incorporate to improve their product. And it's like, I don't know, just on the surface of what I've seen about the about the league, I'm not really sure. It's not like the PGA Tour is going to copy a 54-hole format and like chop off a day of their product. It's not like they're going to all of a sudden have these weird like teams, you know, so I don't. I don't know if that's if that really has like a whole lot of see. I I, I I hear that and I think that's possible. That's a possibility. I think the difference is the Saudi money. The, the just the, the uh, crazy amount of money that's flooding this market. It's unheard of and it's overwhelming everybody. It's overwhelming the players. They don't know what to do. It's overwhelming the PGA. They don't know what to do. And so the way I I look at it is that they they feel like they're could. C- they can't compete. So I think, you know, any, any final thoughts, John, though? Cause I think we covered all the main points in the article, the sports washing idea and uh, what this league may look like. Um, what do you, what, what are your final thoughts? Um, I think to me, I'm just kind of like, as a fan of golf, like I just wonder how it's going to affect um, how it's going to affect the product that I actually watch, you know, which is the PGA tour. And then like, are these guys going to somehow, I think if I'm the PGA tour and you're really trying to like close the floodgates and like figure out a way to stop these guys from going over there um, is you got to get in league somehow with the majors to get them on your side. Cause I think if you told guys like, like Dustin Johnson, Hey, you're not going to be able to play in the masters anymore. You're not going to be able to play in the U S open anymore, which I believe the U S open is kind of like, I think it's kind of come out that they're going to let these guys play. I don't really know though. Um, but like, I think that would be the way to stop them because then you're talking about like legacy type stuff. You're talking about like, um, you know, things that might matter to the players beyond beyond just money. I'm happy that you brought in the fan perspective, because for me, what triggers me and what I was initially emotionally responding to when I read this article was the idea that, you know, we're sp- focusing on this one country and I'm really interested in political history and the history of you know who we put sanctions on and and why and i think that we tend to be very inconsistent in our morality and so that's kind of what what interested me in the in the, in the first place but i'm happy that you brought in the fans perspective because i have no idea how golf r- works and who's popular and who's not and i really never paid attention to the story until today's article so it's it's starting to interest me so I guess this the suspension of the 17 players did create some buzz. <laughs> I don't maybe maybe it had that opposite effect where the PGA brought more attention to this league than they really should have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is though is that like I don't know how much it's going to like I don't really care who's playing in the in the John Deere Classic, you know, like or whatever. So and I think that's the only like those like weekly tournaments are the only things that are going to be affected. It, it's really hard though because golf's even as a guy who watches it all the time, it's so different from every other sports league. Every other sports league, you kind of know the template. Like there's a draft. There are about thirty teams. They have a playoff system. You know, it's like you kind of like you understand what's going on. I really don't know the inner workings of golf. Like I don't really know like what the partnership is between the majors and and the PGA, like in the PGA Tour. You know, I don't really know. So it is kind of hard to tell. Like how is this going to going to affect the product and 
and that that kind of stuff. Good point. And we'll leave it at that. So uh, thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. Thanks for subscribing. Please share the podcast with a friend. We'll see you next week on the Classics Podcast. Thank you again. Thank you.